Thriving with Chronic Illness is brought to you by Life Audio and is a part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Thriving with Chronic Illness podcast, where together we learn how to move past merely surviving to thriving. Because while our struggle is real and hard, it doesn't define us, nor will we let it define us. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, a speaker, and a ministry leader who's learning day by day how to thrive in whatever season I'm in and however I feel. I would love to connect with you online. You can find me at jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com. You can find my ministry at holylove.com. That's holylove, W-H-O-L-L-Y, because we are wholly, completely loved. You can also find me on social media. Simply search for my name. Let's link arms and encourage one another as together we learn to thrive. Here's what I'm learning. Here's what God is reminding me of. He alone, not my health or anything I might accomplish or any dream I might achieve, he alone is my prize. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, about our intimacy with Christ, how we can make much of Jesus and our relationship with him and and much less of everything else. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that your pain, your struggles are insignificant, but I am saying Compared to everything we have in Christ, well, in a way they are. He's simply that good, that amazing and precious, that fulfilling and sustaining. Without him, life is dark and dreary, lonely and hopeless. But with him, even our darkest circumstances begin to fill with light. And I saw this truth played out in the life of a friend who died from brain cancer. And as she slowly but steadily drifted towards death. I shared a bit of her story in a previous episode and how she lived life to the fullest, even when her body and her mind were at their weakest. But she also, she experienced a closeness with God. I'm convinced few ever will, likely, because she needed him so desperately. Even in her wrestling, even in her anger, she remained close. She knew God deeply, I believe in part because surface level understanding, Sunday school answers simply weren't enough for her anymore. So she sought him, all of him, his answers and his presence with every fiber of her soul. She had the courage to face her doubts, to speak them out loud to God. I don't know if she'd ever done that before. I suspect maybe she hadn't. Maybe she'd been afraid to. But as the year the doctors had given her to live, as that slowly ticked away, her questions and her doubts, they swirled and they fought their way out until she gave them voice. And in giving them voice, she not only found the answer she needed, but she found so much more. She found God. She experienced a deeper, richer, more authentic walk with her Savior. And we can't fully love the one we don't fully know. There's such freedom, such peace and assurance in opening the deepest parts of our hearts to Christ, because when we do, that's precisely where he meets us. I have a friend, he's a theologian, and and his name is Dave Montoya. He joined me for an episode in my Faith Over Fear podcast, where we talked about the importance of facing our doubts and how doing so can draw us closer to God. So if you're struggling in this area, I encourage you to take a listen 
The episode is called Courage to Face Our Doubts, because honestly, it does take courage. But as my friend so beautifully demonstrated, what God gives us in return is so sweet, so very precious. We wonder why we weren't more honest with him so much sooner. And I wonder if my friend, the one who was dying, if she felt that way. As God systematically and lovingly answered her doubts, sometimes in supernatural ways, did she ever wish that she had initiated those heartfelt conversations sooner? Initially, she questioned God's goodness, his sovereignty. She couldn't understand if he loved her so much, why he chose not to heal her. After all, she and I both knew it would be so easy for him to do so. And I struggled with those same questions. I knew that he could just say the word, just think the thought. And every cancerous cell in her body would be eradicated as if it had never existed. So why hadn't he done that? Did he not love her? Did he not hear her? Had he maybe turned his back on her for some reason? And if so, why? I I imagine those are all the questions that she was asking. And as time went on, her prayers, they grew bolder. It wasn't enough for her to know intellectually that God loved, saw, and heard her. She needed to know, know, know this. She needed to know that he would never leave her. And that is precisely what he showed her. One night as she sat out on her porch, she was alone. She was in the silence. The rest of her family was asleep. And while she sat there, a bright light streaked across the sky, a shooting star, and then another and another. And she knew in that moment, she just knew with a certainty that can only come when God himself plants that assurance deep in your soul that each shooting star had been a gift from him to her. You see, she'd always wanted to see a shooting star growing up, but she never had. And I can't help but wonder if she thought about that as she sat on her porch that night, staring up at the vast sky, contemplating the God who made every star, the God she knew she would soon see face to face. And and maybe she wondered, maybe she hoped if she would just see one shooting star before he called her home. And like I said, God answered in a beautiful display of love. And she could have explained that experience away. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? Once the miracle is over and the logical sides of our brain has caught up. But my friend, she didn't do that. Instead, she received the visual display precisely as God intended her to, as an example of his love, as evidence that he not only saw her, that he heard her most desperate and tear-filled cries, and that he was, in fact, at each moment, her weakest especially, right there with her. I'm going to butcher this name, so I apologize, but C.J. Mahaney, author of Humility and true greatness. He says, too many Christians are more readily aware of the absence of God than they are of the presence of God. I hope that won't be true of us. Is it true for you? Well, sometimes it is true for me. Sometimes I forget that God is with me. I forget how much he longs to be with me and that he truly is all I need. We often don't realize that until all the other lesser gods we've clung to, health, money, prestige, achievements, whatever idols we've amassed, whatever false securities we've stockpiled, until all of those things crumble away. And then in that moment, we realize we're left with what we need more than anything, Jesus Christ, with the only one with the power to fill us, not partially or temporarily, but completely and eternally with himself. 
Corey Tenboom said, you'll never know Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And she, of all people, could say that. She endured a Nazi concentration camp, and she discovered in that experience what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Growing up, I often felt as if I was only as good as what I did, and if I quit being useful or if if people thought I was bothersome or a burden, that they would be done with me. And while Christ did a lot to heal my heart and to remove so many of the lies that I had absorbed over the years, for a long time, I, I continued to carry a works-based mentality. I lived as if God would give his love to me based on my usefulness. I, I wasn't aware that that was my mentality, that that's how I was living. I wasn't aware of this until I had, until I could no longer perform. But then one year, God moved our family to a small town in Northern Missouri, and we began attending a home church. And suddenly, There was no way for me to serve. There was no way for me to earn God's favor, no way for me to prove how much I loved him. And I thought for sure he was done with me. And maybe that's how some of you feel right now. Maybe you've spent a lifetime of serving and being useful. Maybe you've allowed who you are, most specifically who you are to Christ and in Christ. Maybe you've allowed that to get tangled up in what you do. And maybe he's saying to you right now, the same thing that he spoke to my wounded heart so many years ago. So one night we were all gathered in one family's home. We'd met for a meal like we always did. And and everyone seemed so happy. They were laughing. They were joking. They were sharing stories of God's goodness. And listening, I felt disconnected from them and from God. My, My heart felt so, so heavy. And it had for some time, since we moved to that small town, actually, and every day, it felt as if the weight I carried grew heavier and heavier. Soon it was time for service to start, and they began with praise. And at first I joined in, but as the music just swirled around me, I dropped to my knees, I closed my eyes, and I mentally silently cried out to God, what do you want from me, I asked him, feeling like I wasn't measuring up, feeling like that was the reason I felt so disconnected from my Savior. His response whispered to the depths of my soul, you. That's what he told me. He wanted me because to him, I'm enough. And he's saying the same thing to you. To him, you are enough. You and I are enough in Christ. He simply wants us. But I wonder, can I say the same? Can I say that to my savior, the one who died in order to draw me close, to break every barrier that separated us? Can I honestly say, Lord, you are all I want, more than my health or even a pain-free life. I want you. Some days, yeah. Other days, unfortunately, no. I allow so many things to get in the way of my relationship with Christ. And and in this, I rob myself of what my soul needs most. I love this quote by Nancy Carmichael, author of Selah. She said, Christ doesn't call us to an occupation, a series of accomplishments, an impressive resume, or a statement of net worth. Christ calls us to himself. That's our greatest call. That that is the highest call we could possibly have. There is no greater way we can spend our time than pursuing the God who gave his life in pursuit of us. 
So let's talk about some of the things that hinder our intimacy with Christ. First, I want to stress that we can't measure the depth of our relationship with God based on our emotions. Our emotions are fickle and most often based on circumstances. They rise when life appears to be going well, and they often plummet when difficulties come, or at least mine often do, and that's okay. We're emotional beings. God created us with the capacity to experience a wide range of emotions, and I believe to feel those emotions with him, not to stuff them down, not to pretend they don't exist. That's not honest. That's not helpful. God doesn't want a plastic daughter who prances around with a cheesy permigrin proclaiming forced yet cheery hallelujahs. He wants us, the real us, all of us. And, you know, I started to say when we, when we give him all of us, we get all of him in return. But, you know, that's not true. And here's why. We have all of God already. God has given us all of himself in Jesus Christ. He doesn't hold back parts of himself, doling out his love and his presence based on our performance or our faith or or whatever else we might think would somehow earn us more of our father. Ephesians 1 tells us we've been given every spiritual blessing and that we possess all the power of God in Christ. He gives of himself freely without measure. The cross proved that. Therefore, if we feel a disconnect, most often that disconnect comes from us. We're the ones with the walls up. We're the ones with the barriers and the speed bumps. We're the ones who are stiff arming God. So let's talk about some of the ways we do that. We're most likely already aware of some of the most common behaviors that clog our hearts, that dull our spiritual hearing, that make us less receptive to God's love. That do, Not that make us him less to, apt to give it, but make us less able to receive it. Those things like sin and busyness. And But have we considered how false expectations might be hindering our intimacy with Christ? That, that perhaps we're searching for the God of our design, the one who will answer life's problems and who will respond to our illness as we believe he should. And when he fails to respond as we desire, do we adjust our expectations or do we withhold ourselves from him? Do we push him away emotionally, deceiving ourselves into believing that he's the one who's taken a step back? Early in my marriage, my expectations of my husband kept me from getting to know who he really was. I I wasn't really raised in the church. I didn't know what a godly husband and father acted like, although I knew what I thought they looked like sitting in church, looking about at all the other husbands, sitting so lovingly and faithfully by their wives, doting on their spouses and their kids. I decided that was exactly what I wanted. That They were exactly what I wanted. Although I'm certain had I spent a day in their homes where real life occurs, I probably would have changed my view rather quickly. But in my, in my mind, my husband just didn't measure up. And for a while, my unmet, my faulty expectations made me miserable and it created an ever widening distance between us. And my expectations completely blinded me to so many of my husband's most endearing qualities, like his adorably goofy way of defusing tension or how his determination to cross things off his list is often a direct result of his love, a direct display of his love, or even how he becomes more direct, more assertive when something or someone triggers his protective side. Over the years, as I've gotten to know the real man I married, reality and truth have replaced all the false expectations my fantasy world created. And real is so much better than fantasy. My relationship with my husband grew as I came to know 
him better, who he really was, who he really is. And the same is true with God. When we're young, in age or in faith, we might base our view of God on quick Sunday school lessons, those snippets of stories told between snack time and, and game time. And, and we learn he's good and kind and strong and matchless in power. And all of those things are true, absolutely true. He's the God who helped a young boy named David slay a giant. He's the God who helped a trembling Israelite named Gideon lead a victorious army. The God who helped a Hebrew named Moses liberate his people. And and who helped a disciple named Peter walk on water. Absolutely. But then something happens in our own lives. And it feels as if our giants, it feels like they've won. And we're left confused, maybe disillusioned. We might even grow bitter, not just towards our situation, but to God. He hasn't met our expectations. And so our heart grows a little harder, a little colder. And before long, our Savior seems to have grown distant. And so what do we do when that happens? Well, I hope we hash things out with God. I hope we tell him how we feel, that we tell him about our doubts, that we ask him hard questions, and then we listen for his answer. He may speak directly to our questions like he did for my friend when she was dying of brain cancer, or he may tell us to trust, to yield, like he did for me after she died and I went through my own wrestling period. But either way, he will answer us, and his answers will always contain a beautiful invitation to tuck ourselves deep within his loving embrace once again. As we continue turning to him in our heart, our confusing, and our celebratory moments, we come to know him better. We learn to recognize his hand and his voice. Jesus promised that we, his children, his sheep, that we would hear him. And in fact, I believe we do hear him more than we realize. We're just not always quite sure. If it is indeed his voice speaking, our spiritual discernment grows as our intimacy with Christ deepens. And as we become more spiritually discerned, this in turn deepens our intimacy with Christ. It's beautiful. Are you familiar with the passage where Jesus referred to himself as our shepherd and to us, his children, as his sheep? Well, this analogy, it's found in John chapter 10. And according to the chronology, it directly followed Jesus is healing of a blind man, and there's such rich symbolism in that. So in John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples, they encountered a man who had been born blind. Now, in the ancient world, everyone assumed disabilities such as blindness were a result of sin. They assumed health and prosperity meant a person was under God's blessings, and calamities indicated someone was cursed. So that was the heavy shame and accusation this blind man had carried probably for all of his life. But in a moment, Jesus expelled this falsehood by healing the man and using the miracle to bring glory to God and point to an even greater truth. We are blind without him, even more blind than that man was without his sight. We cannot heal ourselves of our blindness. We need God's healing touch. And that's precisely what that blind man received. Jesus made mud using his spit and some dirt, and he spread it over the man's eyes, and then he told him to wash in the pool of Siloam. Well, when the religious leaders, the the men who proclaimed to have special spiritual understanding or vision, when they heard of this, they grew irate, and they interrogated the man. They demanded to know who had healed him, and when they learned that Jesus was the one who had healed him, they threw the man out of the temple. They rejected him. But in one of my favorite verses in scripture, we're told, quote, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. So the, the religious leaders rejected this man, but 
but God sought him out and gifted him with even more beautiful vision, spiritual vision, belief in Christ, and therefore intimacy with himself and eternal life. And then in John 9, verse 39, Jesus said, and this is the New Living Translation, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. And scripture goes on to say, some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were, bu- if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. And then directly following, he shared his famous sheep and shepherd analogy saying in John 10 verse three, the gatekeeper, now he's speaking of God, the father opens the gate for him. And then he's speaking of himself, the shepherd and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus knows us personally and intimately. He calls us by name And he does indeed lead us. He leads us to pasture, to safety, to effectiveness, and to impact. But ultimately, to himself, our role, we listen. That's what makes us his sheep. We listen and we follow because as verse 4 states, we know his voice. When I first read that verse years ago, it caused a bit of angst because I wasn't sure that it always applied to me. I wasn't sure that I did recognize his voice, not always, and but I've since learned that's a process. When beautifully revealed in the relationship between ancient shepherds and their sheep, you see, sheep truly did learn to recognize their shepherd's voice as he cared for them day after day, leading them to lush pastures, to cool and peaceful waters, and then back to the safety of their pen each night. They learned to discern his voice, and even more importantly, they learned to trust him. They learned that he truly was their good shepherd who provided, protected, and cared for them at the risk of his own life. And of course, we know Jesus didn't just risk his life for us. He gave it. So we have even more reason to trust him. Trust is an important aspect of hearing. Disbelief, distrust clogs our spiritual ears. It dulls our hearing and it allows countless other voices, our logic, popular opinion, social media, or our favorite news channel to drown out God's voice. But back to the shepherd and sheep analogy. In Jesus's day, numerous shepherds often shared a pen at night where hundreds of sheep owned by different shepherds would gather together. And then in the morning, the shepherd would call his sheep out and they would follow. Only his sheep would follow. The sheep belonging to another shepherd, they stayed behind because they didn't recognize that shepherd's voice. And sometimes our perceived disconnect comes from expecting the same relationship with God that he has with others. So we have our own relationship with God. As he leads us, as he guides us, we come to know him. And he responds to us uniquely, just like a shepherd uniquely responds to his own personal sheep. And we forget that God interacts with each of us differently. We understand this when it comes to like human relationships. A wise mom, she doesn't parent all her children the same. Instead, she speaks to each one of them in a way they understand. And she loves them in a way that they will receive. And can we expect anything less from God, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves? So my daughter struggled with this idea growing up, and honestly, it nearly drove her from the church. She's an engineer. She likes to question everything. She really likes deep intellectual questions. She's not really into music, into praise music. She finds it repetitive, and she's not one to get weepy during church service or to wave her hands in the air. And growing up, she watched all her Christian friends, how 
emotional they became during church service and how God seemed to be meeting them in such powerful ways. And she began to wonder if maybe something was wrong with her. And one night in tears, she shared this with me and she said, mom, what's wrong with me? I don't see God in music. I see him in math. And I smiled and I immediately thought of Isaac Newton. And I envisioned the deep worship experience he likely had whenever he worked out a calculus problem. And then I thought of Thomas Kincaid, and I imagined how his soul sang with praise whenever he picked up a paintbrush. And and I thought of my husband, who can spend hours sitting on a bench, staring out over the ocean, just sitting in God's presence, not necessarily hearing anything specific, just resting in the peace of Christ. And God met each one of those people. He spoke to each one of those people. He loves each of them, each of us in a way that resonates uniquely with us because he knows us. He loves us. He knows us. And he's always, always drawing all of his children to himself. If we can't see that, if he feels disconnected, it could be that we're longing for that relationship we see him having with others instead of learning to enjoy the one that he's building with us. And maybe some of you did that when I shared my friend's experience with the shooting stars. Maybe you thought, God's never done that for me. God never lit up the sky to show me his presence. He's never whatever. And you started ticking off all the ways he's not revealed his love, completely overlooking or forgetting about all the ways that he has. And so you begin to feel as if maybe he doesn't love you. After all, if, if that's the measure, whatever measure you decide at the moment, however he's shown up for someone else, if, if that's the measure, then he must have overlooked you or forgotten about you. And so he begins to feel distance for the simple reason that you've convinced yourself that he is. When he's been showing you a thousand ways just how real and present and loving to you he is. Lord, help us recognize your voice. Help us heed your voice. Help us to be alert to your presence. Help us to seek you above all else, to make you our prize. And thank you for your faithfulness to remain forever at our side. Whether we can feel you in the moment, we know you are here. You are always here. You will always be here. Fill us today and always completely with your love. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. I, I hope the passages that I shared, the things we discussed, I hope they ignited a desire within you to draw ever closer to Christ. And that as you do, I, I pray that he draws you ever closer still until every dark and lonely crevice of our hearts are filled with him. The one who quite literally moved heaven and earth in order to be with us, to dwell with us. I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and then you will receive every episode. We've got some great ones coming up. It would encourage me greatly if you would rate this and that will help others to, to become aware of the podcast as well. Share it with your friends. And in the meantime, just press into Jesus. Get to know him better. Learn to trust him more. He is with you. He will never leave you and he wants us to grow ever closer to him. Thriving with Chronic Illness is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a minute and leave us a review in your podcast app? It really does help more people like you find the podcast. To hear more from Jennifer Slattery, be sure to check out her fantastic site, 
holyloved.com. This episode was produced by me, Kelly Givens, and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more podcasts like this, head over to lifeaudio.com. The content we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. If we feed our minds the lies and confusion of this world, our lives will begin to reflect worldliness. But if we feed our minds the truth of the gospel, our lives will start to reflect the heart and character of Jesus. I'm John Stonge, and each week I host the Dwell on These Things podcast, where we take a deep look at the Word of God and learn what it means to apply it to our lives. We don't skip difficult passages, and we don't gloss over the truth. If you're looking for a show that will put your mind in a better place and help you understand God's Word with more clarity, you can listen to the Dwell on These Things podcast at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.